Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Just turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. We're going to continue in our Ephesians study. Do you remember we've done right through Ephesians so far, right up to chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. Lord, we just uh, come before you and, uh, and ask you that you would move now as I uh, minister this sermon. I pray that you'll help me to say the right words, words that will glorify you and also words that will derive as much truth and uh, relevance from these scriptures uh, that we can get out of them in this time allotted to us. Mm-hmm. So I just pray for you to really speak through me and that you help me to minister effectively and that you also open all our hearts to receive the word and give us uh, great discernment and um, an ability to retain and grow from the things that we hear today. So I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, just before we read from the Bible, if you look at this scripture that's in the picture there, it says, You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a place where God lives by His Spirit. And that's drawn from 1 Peter 2.5 and Ephesians 2.22. And so I've titled this sermon, Church Builders. And uh, you'll see why as we read through this. So let's read 4.11. It says this in the NIV. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just a quick overview. Verse 11, which was the first verse in those three verses, is... Uh, talks about the appointed offices of uh, of Christians generally, and that there's five offices talked about, which was apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all distinctly different. So we're going to talk about the distinct differences of those offices. Uh, verse 12 talks about the equipping of the saints, that these offices are instituted for the equipping of the saints. It's for us, for our benefit, so that we can mature in Christ and become effective as Christians. And verse 13 talks about attaining unity and fullness in Christ. So that's what the outcome of being equipped should bring about in us as as believers. Now I'm going to read the amplified version of this passage and that's the amplified version. There's it's been amplified. It's uh and it says this in the amplified and his gifts were varied and he himself appointed and gave men to us. Now remember the amplified is drawing the full meaning or as much of the full meaning as they can from the Greek. And uh, so that's why I like to look at it and check out what it's got to say. So, and his gifts varied, were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, which are special messengers, some prophets, which are inspired preachers and expounders, some evangelists, which are preachers of the gospel and traveling ministries, missionaries, and some pastors, which are shepherds of his flock and teachers. And there's no little... Explanation of teachers, but I have one. His intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, 
that they should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body, that they, see how I underlined they, that they, that these five officers, these ministers working in these five offices, would do the work of ministering towards building up Christ's body, the church. That's what they're for. That it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith, so we all become unified, and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God. I love that passage. The comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of who? Not God, but the Son of God. So we realize that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's important because that's the distinction between Christianity and every other religion on earth. Where am I up to? Knowledge of the Son of God that we might arrive, so we might arrive at a place and at really mature manhood. Not just mature manhood, but really mature. <laughs> so we're not supposed to just mature in the things of God. We're supposed to really mature, like really come to a, a, an outstanding level of maturity. The completeness of personality, and, uh, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection. Nothing less than the standard that is Christ's perfection. So that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for the perfection that Christ attained. Not the perfection that Paul attained or, you know, Bill attained or I attained or anyone else attained. We're aiming for Christ's perfection. You know, and if you aim for Christ's perfection, you're going to become, uh, attain much more in Christ than if you just aim for someone that you know or someone that you heard about. And that is the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ and the completeness found in him. Isn't that powerful? Wow. That is one heavy insight into that amplified version. Okay, so I'm going to draw from the Amplified. We're going to go through it bit by bit. Ephesians 4.11 says, And his gifts were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be apostles, which are special messengers. And the word apostle means one who is sent out. One who is sent to plant churches and take the gospel to foreign places. So these ministers, or these apostles, are ministers that go out and do something in a new place that's not been done before. They're not working on someone else's you know, work that they've already built. They're just going into new places. And that was why the Apostle Paul was called the Apostle Paul, because he was going into regions which had never heard the gospel and bringing them the light of the gospel, setting up churches, and then instating people into uh, positions of prominence there, you know, appoint, appointing pastors, appointing evangelists, appointing prophets, elders, deacons, etc. And then he would move on and he'd go and do it somewhere else. And then years later he would return past what he had planted years early just to find out how are they going now. And a lot of the time he had to come with a rebuke, you know, you guys have fallen. What's happened? And other times you'd come and you'd give them praise. You guys have done magnificently. You're much stronger now than you were before. Anyway, so ministers, however, over the centuries have declared that the gift of apostleship was exclusively a ministry unique to the first century. And you may have heard that if you've read much about this sort of stuff. I don't believe that at all. I believe there are still apostles out there, you know. Uh, however, we have seen men in the church throughout the last 2,000 years functioning and doing the very thing Paul did, going into places, missionaries, going into places, bringing the gospel. They'd go in sometimes, they'd go in, apostles would go in with evangelists and evangelists would evangelize, the apostles would set up and then they would move on. 
You know, Paul was known to set up churches and hang around for a few years. Make sure they're established. Make sure they're strong and then move on. So in a sense, Paul would function in the office of a pastor during that time. But his real call was to be an apostle. Paul gave this list, and this is my answer to these skeptics that don't believe there's apostles around anymore, which is ridiculous to believe because we need apostles. We need church planters. Or else how do you expect new churches to be born? Uh, Paul gave this list with apostles first as a description of the gifts given to men for the building up of the church. He described five offices that will be established in the church for here on. From that time he wrote that, from then on, they would always be around until the return of Christ. So for them to say that they're no longer around is crazy because we need all five of those offices in the church. Ephesians 4.11 also says, And his gifts were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be prophets, who are inspired preachers and expounders. Uh, prophets are those who receive a word from God and then proclaim it. Uh, this word can come from a revelation. It can come from dreams or visions or from deep insight into the word of God. You know, sometimes we can function in, in, as, a, as a prophet, like I've had some revelations in scripture which just blow my mind and I'm like wow and when and then I reveal it and I wrote a lot of that into my books and things like that Um, however I don't believe I function in the office of a prophet because when you hear of some of the prophets that are around today some of them are receiving visions regularly dreams regularly they're getting impacted with words from God and they're always saying something profound they've always got some but doesn't mean that they can pastor a church do you know what I mean? It just means that God is moving on them in that capacity and God's using them to build up and edify the church through it. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 14.3, that prophecy always speaks to men for edification, exhortation and consolation. Again, many say the gift of prophecy ended with John the Baptist as the last prophet because Jesus said that he was a prophet. However, we read of prophets after John's death. In Acts 11, 27 to 28, you can research this at home. Just look up Acts 11, 27 to 28. It speaks of prophets in the New Testament church. Acts 13, 1, Acts 21, 8 to 9, and there's others as well. And also Paul, Paul gives us uh, some teaching on prophecy or prophets in the church in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 and all around those sections. He speaks of prophets in the church quite often in uh, 1 Corinthians. So, yeah, that the fact that there's no more prophets anymore is ridiculous because the Bible clearly says that there's prophets and it was right through, you know, uh, the New Testament church and from then on as well. And really God speaks to humanity today through his prophets. Do you know what I mean? And through the word of God, of course. Ephesians 4.11 says, And his gifts were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be evangelists, preachers of the gospel, travelling missionaries. So there are some that are called to be evangelists. The word gospel in the Greek is evangelio, uh, which means good news. And evangelist is evangelistas, and it means the bearer of good news. So evangelists then are the ones who preach the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, we are all called to preach the good news, aren't we? Every one of us is called to preach good news. But some are exceptionally gifted in making the gospel very clear in few words and calling men to repentance. 
you know, and um, I have, I function in the gift of evangelism at times, but I don't believe at this stage of my life that I'm in the office of evangelism because those that are in that office will be seeing souls coming in regularly. Now, you could probably all admit that we need more evangelists, true evangelists in the church today. We need guys like Billy Graham that can just stand up and just preach the word and see multitudes of souls coming to believe in Jesus. But there, So there is a, a specific gift. Now, I want to make one thing clear, that God, or God through Paul, made it clear that we should pray for these gifts. We should pray for the greater gifts of apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, and pray that God gives us those anointings to lead people to Jesus through our words and give us the words that will just flow off our lips and touch people's hearts really quickly. You know, because I think the gift of evangelism would be an awesome gift to have. And I know, Bill, you, you function in that gift. But we want to pray for even more impact and that God will really grab those people and change them deep to the core and they become passionate Christians as a result. Amen. Now, pastors, Ephesians 4.11, and it says, And his gifts were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us, some to be pastors, which are shepherds of his flock. Pastors are the shepherds of God's people. So today, most people who go into ministry call themselves pastors. Did you know that? It's very common today for people to go into ministry and the thing that they become is a pastor. It seems like the going thing. You don't go into ministry and come out of it and say, I'm a prophet, usually, or I'm an apostle. You know, it tends to be everyone's a pastor these days. And they call themselves pastors. Yet true pastoring is a very specific gifting true pastoring and only some are truly able to operate in this office only some have it in their heart to be a shepherd that's going to look after the sheep and have deep concern for the sheep and pray for the sheep you know what i mean we can you know function in a, a sense have that gift of have a have a gift of pastoring but it might not mean that we're called to pastor a large congregation but the gift is very specific and I think too many of us today call ourselves pastors when we're not. And we really should seek God to find out what is our specific gifting. What is the office that we should be functioning in? And it should be God's decision. And he, it's always by our design as well. God's designed us to function in a certain office. A pastor protects his flock, however, from enemies. He cares for them and he feeds them the full counsel of God. So over in the course of a year, you will get taught a bit of everything, you know, like a well-rounded diet. You'll get your three-course meal every time you come sort of thing. So a good pastor will be able to bring that sort of thing to you, and they'll do that in an organized and systematic fashion. They'll be fairly organized in their preaching and delivery and, and everything else. Teachers. I've heard some ministers say that they, they lump pastors and teachers together. They believe there's only four offices, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and pastors and teachers as one. But pastoring and teaching are very specific. Teachers are not to be confused with pastors. Some ministers are brilliant at expounding on Scripture and unveiling gems of wisdom from the Word, yet have not the gift to be a shepherd to the people. They might be fantastic teachers, teach you incredible things, but you go up to them with a deep emotional problem that you're having and they go, mate, it's too much for me to talk to you about that. Go and talk to your pastor. So how people can lump the two together, I'll never know because they're very different. They're very different. The ministry of teacher is a ministry which the apostle, prophet, evangelist and pastor operates in. 
see if the evangelist for the evangelist to be effective, he has to be fairly, fairly clever at teaching. For the pastor to be effective, he's got to be good at teaching. So for all of them, the apostle to go in and set things up, he's got to be a good teacher too. But it doesn't mean he's a their their main gift is to expound on the word of God. The evangelist might be a good teacher, but he might be very specific to certain scriptures to be effective in his office. But there's all this other stuff that he doesn't go near because he's not concerned with that. He just wants to get people saved and then get them into a church and give them to a pastor. Do you know what I'm saying? So evangelists and pastors operate just as an apostle may have a gift of pastoring or an evangelist may have a gift of prophecy. You might have an evangelist that just has this prophecy gift that he'll speak things and people freak out. How did you know that? You know? But it doesn't mean he's a, he's a prophet. It's just he, has a, he operates in a gift. But there is a distinct office which highlights the gift, this gift, at a level greater than the others. Someone like William Lane Craig would be someone who's an excellent teacher, excellent teacher, and he himself has said, but I'm not a pastor. He doesn't want to be a pastor or, you know, he probably could do pastoral type stuff. There would be no problem there. But his call is not to be a pastor. It's just to be a teacher, you know. It's good to know this stuff in the church. It's good to know that there are clear distinctions. God set up a council in the church and if we all understand that and start to function in those ministries you can make a really powerful church if you know these guy this guy's he's really good at all these things but he's really really strong in in prophecy you know the problem today with just with prophecy I'll just add it, add a little bit to this if you go labeling people prophets sometimes I think it can do all sorts of strange things you know only because of what the demonic attacks that have been taking place in the 20th, 21st century with prophets, to be labelled a prophet these days can be dangerous. So we'd like to, you know, uh, probably not label someone a prophet only because of what we've all been associated with in church, but we must not reject the fact that God anoints certain people to prophesy. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. We'll go into that at a later date anyway maybe in uncovering religion. So Ephesians 4.12 says his intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints. So this is the next verse. His intention was the perfecting and full equipping of the saints. So he wants you guys fully equipped. Uh, And he calls us his consecrated people. That's what obviously saints mean, his consecrated people, people that have consecrated themselves to Jesus. Not someone that's performed a certain amount of miracles, like the Catholic Church teach, but someone who is consecrated to the will of God, we can call a saint, that they, that's those ministers, those officers, prophets, uh, apostles, evangelists, pastors and teachers, that they should do the work of ministering towards building up Christ's body of the church. This equipping of the saints is why God has given these gifts uh, to his people, the gifts of apostles and prophets, etc. And it is for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. You know when Jesus gave out the Great Commission, when he said, this is, this is what I want you to do, and I'm going to read what, it, what he told us to do, it was for every single Christian professing Christian, <laughs> Christ professing Christian. <laughs> if you profess to be a Christian, then this is what Jesus has called you to. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he tells you straight, all authority. 
Every drop of authority in heaven and every drop of authority on earth has been given to me. Not to Thor, <laughs> not to Zeus, not to Satan, not to any of these gods that, that people go and believe in. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So he said, now you believe in me, therefore, remember that all authority has been given to me, then go and get them. <laughs> go and tell people about me. Bring them into the kingdom. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them. So it's telling us, get out there and water baptize. If you haven't been water baptized, we've got to do something about that. If you haven't been maturely, if you haven't from a, at a mature age accepted Jesus into your life and been baptized and, and publicly professed your faith, then you need to do that if you're a true Christian because it's in the Great Commission. It's so clear. It's the main thrust of the Great Commission, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's sort of like the wedding ceremony. If you've been a Christian this long and you haven't been water baptized, you've been a Christian for 10 years, it's like living out of wedlock, <laughs> you know. It's like making it official. It's making it official. It's, yeah, it's your, the marriage to, to the Lord. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So you've got to teach them to obey everything. And this is what I'm doing. Am I teaching you to obey everything? Yes. I'm doing my best? Mm. Yeah? Yes. Yeah? Right. Amen? Yes? Steph? Yes? Yes, Master. Sort of. I'm trying to teach you everything to obey. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he so what is he telling us? He's going to be with us and enable us to right to the end of the age to make disciples and nations. That's, that's the Great Commission. So that's what you've got to do. If you make disciples and nations, you're going to love them. You're going to love them genuinely. Because you can't really make a true disciple without love. You know, you can't force someone to follow you. You know, and when you say make disciples, you sort of that it shouldn't be following you. You teach them to follow the Lord. That's really what you're doing. You're showing there's the Lord, and I'll walk with you, and I'll stand beside you because it says, "Do not two walk together unless they agree to do so." You got to agree to walk together. You walk together. There's Jesus. He's my Lord. I'm His disciple, and you're now His disciple. I'm going to be beside you because disciples stick together. We're going to help each other to get across the line. You know, and that's what church is, is we get together and make sure that we get to heaven and we encourage each other to do the work of, of the gospel while we're here and while we're alive. Without church, you won't have that much encouragement to be Christian. If you stop going to church, I guarantee you, if one of you stops going to church and, and you don't go to church for a year or two, you're going to get so weak in the faith, you're just going to drop right, you're going to drop the ball. It's happened. It happened to me. I didn't go to church for about a year or two. And I dropped the ball completely. You know, stopped reading the Bible. I hadn't, my Bible went in my drawer for over a year. Didn't read it. I tried to read it without going to church for a little while and then I lost all interest. I don't know why. It's like the Spirit says, okay, if you're not going to join with the body of Christ and be, and be the church that I died for, then I'm going to take away any interest you have in me. Yeah. You know, we're called to be a church. We're called to be the body of Christ. We're called to join together weekly and encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching, the word says. All the more as Jesus gets closer, we've got to encourage each other more and more to stay strong in the faith, stay bold in the faith. He's coming. 
we've all been given a ministry. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone, you guys are in Christ, right? So if, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So because of you guys, you know the new creation is on earth, you're a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So we've been reconciled to God through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And reconciling means bringing two opposing parties together, making them one. That God was reconciling the world to himself That's what he's doing. He reconciled the whole world to himself in Christ. He didn't count people's sins against them. What a merciful God. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He committed it to us. Stephanie, he committed this message to you. He committed the message of reconciliation to you. He he gave it to you as well, Nick. He's given it to you, John. He's given it to you, Athena. All of us. He's given it to us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Whether you like it or not, if you claim to be Christian, then you're a Christ, you're Christ's ambassador. And if you know what, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to look at that and go, were you really my ambassador? You knew you were my ambassador, but did you act as an ambassador would? What does an ambassador do if, if America sends in an ambassador to another country? What's a representative? He's, he's, imagine if he went there and he just, you know, started swearing and cursing and carrying on. How happy would the American president be if his ambassador went into a country and offended them? But how much happier would he be if that man went in there and brought peace between the two countries? He'd be saying, he's a good ambassador. You know, now we're called to reconcile. As ambassadors, we reconcile people to God. So if someone hates God, if we're a good ambassador, we will teach them the love of God. We'll teach them how much God loves and how much they, God wants to get along with this person. Do you know what I mean? He loves you. He died for you. Do you realize how much he wants this reconciliation with you? That you're meant to be with him. He wants to be with you. And you imagine when that person turns and says, yeah, you're right, mate. What am I doing hating God? I've got no reason to. He's blessed my life. You reconcile them. You're a good ambassador. And that's what we're called to. We're called to reconcile. Amen? So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. His appeal to men comes through us. When we talk to someone about Jesus, he's appealing to that person through us as his ambassadors. What a job. What a responsibility. You know, we've got a greater responsibility than the President of America's ambassador who goes into those other countries. Our job is more responsible than that. Because in the scheme of things, when that the American President's ambassador gets to heaven, he's not going to appeal for salvation through being the ambassador of the American President, is he? <laughs> and God's not going to pat him on the back and say, you were such a good ambassador for America. But he's going to pat us on the back if we're good ambassadors for Christ. So we have a much more eternally based responsibility and it's far greater, far greater than any other type of ambassadorship that is in the world today. So we implore you, and this is how 
Paul continues, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, what he's saying here, this is the message I want you to go out and preach. We implore you, we implore unbelievers on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the message of reconciliation right there. Isn't that amazing? The Bible's an incredible book. So I'm nearly finished, guys. These gifts in ministers will outwork in us these things. Ephesians 4.13, and this is the Amplified again, that it might develop until we all attain oneness in the faith, oneness in the faith, that's unity, and in the comprehension, we comprehend it, in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God. The full and accurate knowledge. Not the full and inaccurate knowledge. <laughs> the full and accurate knowledge. So we will be biblically true to the text. You know, We'll be true to that text. That we might arrive at really mature manhood and womanhood. The completeness of personality will have a complete personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection, the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ and the completeness found in him. The measure, uh, uh, the measure of the stature. Stature is, you know, how grand he stands. You know, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. So live up to that as Christ's ambassadors. That's powerful, isn't it? And the completeness. Was Jesus complete? Was he the most complete person that ever existed? And still exists? Yes. And we've got to measure up to that completeness. We've got to be as complete in ourselves as, as God was complete in Jesus. And so we've got to be, have God complete in us. We don't want to be complete in ourselves egotistically. Mm. You know, I'm a confident, self-confident person. Forget that stuff. It's all, it's all occult. That's the occult. That's new age. We've got to be complete in God. God complete in us. Amen? So these gifts in ministers will outwork in us, and there's four things. Is that red making eyes blurry? <laughs> Oneness in the faith. So we're called to oneness in the faith. Mature Christians will be unified together. It's one good thing about this, this church of ours is we're all unified, which is nice. We will be truly reconciled to God. We will feel that we are reconciled to God. Who feels that? I know you might sin through the week and stuff, but generally we feel, mostly we feel reconciled to God. And we know if we don't feel that way, we repent and then we get back right with God. We'll also be one with the Holy Spirit. And his will for us. Amen? One with the Holy Spirit and his will. What he wills for us to do in our life. Comprehension also of the knowledge of the Son of God. We will have a deeper and more accurate comprehension of Jesus as the Son of God. And this knowledge of Jesus being the Son of God will keep us from falling into deception. That's my little insight into that. If we have knowledge of the Son of God and we understand that, we won't fall prey to these uh, deceptions out there like Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and Christadelphians that teach that Jesus isn't the Son of God. They don't have a complete knowledge of the Son of God. They have an incomplete knowledge and therefore they're deceiving the people and a lot of those people won't be saved because they've rejected the Son of God. And the whole message of the cross is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins. You take Son of God out of that, Jesus Christ, the man, died on the cross for our sins, there's no power. Isn't it? It's like unplugging the cross. 
What, just a man died on the cross? Thousands of men, tens of thousands, even millions of people have died on the cross. Haven't they? But only the Son of God could die on the cross for the sins of men. Only God could reconcile the world through the blood of his Son. And that is so important. That will keep us from falling prey to deception. These gifts also will minister, will outwork in us that will become mature, that, that scripture says will become mature, will grow and develop to maturity in our knowledge of God. We'll grow to maturity in our knowledge of holiness and walking in the Spirit. So we'll be very, uh, very knowledgeable about how to walk out the Christian life. Sometimes it's hard to know what to do in certain situations, but we will grow in maturity in that. And uh, we will also attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we will be complete and full in Christ, not desiring the lusts of the sinful nature, won't desire the lusts anymore of the sinful nature. You know how the sinful nature sometimes can lure you in to want to do certain things? That will go because we will be attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Our, ministers, uh, sorry, our ministries will be complete in him, walking in the fullness of the Great Commission as well and living out that. Now, there's probably more points I could put to each of those statements, but I thought that was enough for now. So just in conclusion, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers are given to the church to bring the believers to maturity and completeness. Amen. That's really what that section of Scripture is telling us. They are to make us effective in our ministries and to reveal to us all that we are called to walk in so that we don't fail the Lord. So we don't fail the Lord. Really, my job in pastoring you and teaching you, because I use those both those uh, gifts, I'm not sure which one is my actual office, is to make sure you guys get into heaven. That's my life objective uh, as a ministry, is to get people into heaven and make sure they stay in the kingdom. They go all the way, get to the end, end and make it. Yeah. If you start the race, you're going to finish it too, because I'm going to, if you don't, I'm going to drag you. <laughs> Bill and I will have a stretcher there, we'll pick you up and run with you. <laughs> All right. And the church today needs to pray that more and more believers walk in the fullness of their offices. Don't you think? We need more people walking in the fullness of their office. Not everyone being a pastor, because that's ridiculous. I've met so many pastors who are not pastors. And you can just about tell it the moment you meet them. You know, they just don't have, have the right way with people. Other people I meet and I'm like, wow. This person is a pastor's pastor, <laughs> you know, because of the way they embrace you and the way they love you, you know. And you just, you know, not that you don't get that experience from teachers and evangelists and all that, but generally there's a pastor who has that shepherding gift. And so I'll say that again. The church today needs to pray that more and more believers walk in the fullness of their offices so that we all walk in the ministry of reconciliation so that every one of us here walks as ambassadors for Christ and that we fulfil the Great Commission. I think that's important. Yeah. All right. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for this word. And I, I, I feel in, in many respects that I sort of really uh, brought out what was meant to be brought out today in relation to it. Um, and I just pray that the word really had, uh, really gave us some deeper insight into this area of, of uh, understanding and and that you just uh, grow us through it that it will respond by walking as ministers of reconciliation and that we'll walk and fulfill that great commission Lord, that you put before us and i pray that it doesn't matter whether we're older or younger that you will just put a deep burden on us 
uh, to walk in these offices and ministries and uh, that you'll help us to seek. If there's a, uh, an officer, a more important office that we are called to, let us know, Lord. Just put it in our hearts. Just uh, uh, place them deep in our hearts. And I pray that in, in your name. And I also pray, Lord, that you bring more people into the realization of their office uh, in the body of Christ. I pray that you bring around this church, that you'll bring around us uh, men of God that will walk as apostles and walk as prophets and walk as evangelists and pastors and teachers, that we will see this, this, the fivefold ministries, the fivefold offices being uh, outworked from our pulpit and from our uh, congregation. And I pray for churches everywhere that they walk in this and that, that, that uh, you'll send some uh, ministers along that will teach the truth in these churches where they're getting taught false doctrine, especially the worst one being that Jesus is not the Son of God. Mm-hmm. I pray that you really wake some ministers up that will grab a hold of some of these denominations. Lord, I know that Christian Dolphins are not bound by doctrine. They are at the moment, but I know you can unbound them, unbind them from it. You can break those chains and set these men of God free, that you'll open the eyes of their teachers, open the eyes of their pastors, so that they'll start preaching the truth about you. And that they will receive power. And Lord, as a result, we'll see them changing their names but uh, from Christian Delphians and just becoming Christians, Lord, and true Bible-believing Christians, ambassadors for your name. And I pray this through all the cults that have uh, deceived their people through this false teaching and false doctrine. Wake them up by sending and appointing men into these offices in those churches in the name of Jesus. And I pray all of this, and I pray a wonderful blessing over everyone here um, and everyone listening on the internet. I pray that you pour out your Spirit upon us all, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Cover us with your precious blood, Lord, and bless our journey through this week and these months ahead and help us to reconcile men to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.